0: let me read this to you. Uh, This is in relation to the Emancipation Proclamation. It comes from a book, a very phenomenal book. I don't know if you've heard it, but it's entitled Sick from Freedom. Sick from Freedom. Anybody ever heard of of that book before? Sick from Freedom. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. One of the things I like to do is read, right? Sometimes when I get to talking, it may not sound like it, (laughs) but trust me, I like to read, and this book, Sick from Freedom, is a, is a very interesting book. But let me let me read you. This is a, kind of a commentary about the book that a person wrote uh, several years ago. And it says, hundreds of thousands of slaves freed during the American Civil War died, they're freed, from disease and hunger after being liberated. The analysis by historian Jim Downs, that's the author of the book, of Connecticut College cast a shadow over one of the most celebrated narratives of American history, which sees the freeing of the slaves as a triumphant writing of the wrongs of a southern plantation system that kept millions of black Americans in chains. But as Down shows in his book, Sick from freedom, the reality of emancipation during the chaos of war and its bloody aftermath often fell brutally short of that positive image. Instead, freed slaves were often neglected by Union soldiers. Remember, the Union were supposed to be fighting for, right? Instead, freed instead freed slaves were often neglected by Union soldiers or faced rampant disease, including horrific outbreaks of smallpox and cholera. Many of them simply starved to death, went through all those years of slavery to be freed to starve. After combing through obscure records, newspapers and journals, Downs believes that about a quarter of the four million freed slaves either died or suffered from illness between 1862 and 1870. He writes in the book that it can be considered the largest biological crisis of the 19th century. And yet it is one that has been little investigated by contemporary historians. A lot of people died. A lot of people died. Downs believes much Downs believes much of that is because at the time of the Civil War, which raged between 1861 and 1865 and pitted the Unionist North against the Confederate South, many people did not want to investigate the tragedy befalling the freed slaves. Many Northerners were little more sympathetic than their Southern opponents when it came to the health right, of the freed slaves and anti-slavery abolitionists feared the disaster would prove their critics right, that slaves were not able to exist on their own. The book, Sick from Freedom, is full of terrible vignettes about the individual experiences of slave families who embraced their freedom from the brutal plantations on which they had been born or sold to. Many ended up in encampments called contraband camps, that were often near Union Army bases. However, conditions were unsanitary and food supplies were limited. Shockingly, some contraband camps were actually former slave pens, meaning newly freed people ended up being kept prisoners back in the same cells that that they had previously been held. Free just to get locked right back up. In many such camps, disease and hunger led to countless deaths. Often the only way to leave the camp was to agree to go back to work on the very same plantations from which the slaves had recently escaped. So we talk a lot about 1863, which was great, but there was a lot more to just the freedom on a piece of paper. Treatment by Union soldiers, don't worry, I told you this was going to be a long read, so bear with me. Treatment by Union soldiers could also be brutal. Downs reconstructed the experience of one freed slave, Joseph Miller, who had come with his wife and four children to a makeshift freed slave refugee camp within the Union stronghold of Camp Nelson in Kentucky. Remember, Northern, they were, the Unionists were supposed to be helping In return for food and shelter for his family, Miller joined the army. Yet Union soldiers in 1864 still cleared the ex-slaves out of Camp Nelson, effectively abandoning them to scavenge in a war-ravaged and disease-ridden landscape. One of Miller's young sons quickly sickened and died, freed just to die. Three weeks later, his wife and another son died. Ten days after that, his daughter perished, too. Finally, his last surviving child also fell terminally ill. You're talking about in a couple of months process. And then watch this. By early 1865, Miller himself was dead. Whole family wiped out. For down, such tales are heartbreaking. So many of these people are dying of starvation. And that is such a slow death, he said. Downs has collected numerous, shockingly, don't worry, I'm almost done, Downs has collected numerous shocking accounts of the lives of freed slaves. He came across accounts of deplorable conditions in hospitals, in refugee camps, where doctors often had racist theories about how black Americans reacted to disease. Things were so bad that one military official in Tennessee in 1865 wrote that former slaves were dying by the scores. That sometimes 30 per day die and are carried out by wagon loads without coffins and thrown promiscuously like brutes into a trench. They're freed, but free to what? So bad were the health problems suffered by freed slaves and so high the death rates that some of the observers of the time even wondered if they would all die out. The whole black race would die out. One white religious leader in 1863 expected black Americans to vanish. Like his brother, the Indian of the forest, he must melt away and disappear forever from the midst of us, the man wrote. Such racial attitudes among northerners seem shocking, but Downs says, they were common. Yet Downs believed that his book takes nothing away from the moral value of the emancipation. Instead, he believes that acknowledging the terrible social cost borne by the newly emancipated accentuates their heroism. This challenge is, my friends, the romantic narrative of emancipation. It was more complex and more nuanced than that. It was more than just signing a piece of paper and saying black people are now free. Freedom comes at a cost. Down said. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5, verses 1. Don't worry, I did not send this text in either so that you can turn to it in your Bible and or your devices. Now, you know if you lie to me like Sister Shauna did last week, I know she's not here today, but she sat right here and told me she had the text and she didn't even have the Bible in her hand. So if you do the same to me, I will come and park next to you as well. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1. And we're going to read it from the New King James Version Bible. Let me have it by you telling me, amen. 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 All right. I still see a few people turning. Let's wait. Let's wait. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1. Again, you don't have anywhere to go. And if your dinner was planned, well, you got to wait for your dinner anyhow, because Elder Debbie said you got to drink your water first, so. You still got to wait on your dinner, so you got nowhere to go. Exodus 5 1. It simply says this Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. I speak to you from the title The Cost of Freedom. The cost of freedom. The children of Israel had been enslaved in brutal, bewildering bondage for, four, for some 400 years. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never experienced what it's like to live for 400 years. Have, have any of you experienced 400 years of living? Now, some of us may have experienced some brutal, hard types of bondage. Maybe not bondage like they experienced, right? But these individuals went through 400 years of brutal, bewildering bondage. That's potentially 400 years of encountering numerous different types of trials. You've got the the lash of the master's whip cracking on the scarred backs of helpless, humiliated humans. You've got the death of many in chains as they labored to build the cities for the pharaohs, Pitam and Ramses. You've got the tears of wanting release. From trials and tribulations that bombarded their everyday existence. You've got the teardrops slowly trickling down the faces of the seemingly forgotten. The long nights of wailing and screaming and crying and hollering for the desire of freedom. 400 years. Of this, you've got the blood-soaked stains in the very ground where they walked and where they slept. Every step they took, there was blood. There was blood in the sand. There was blood in the grass. There was blood everywhere. There was tears. There were scars all along their backs. They had waited and waited for hundreds of years for their deliverer to fulfill the promise from God to Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. They waited and they waited. Have y'all ever realized that the things of God seem to take forever? Forever. And a lot of emphasis on that whole word forever right? I often like to say immediacy is the antagonist of God. Oftentimes, we want things right now. I want it now. Mommy, I want it now. I want it now. However, that often is not how God works, right? We have a very limited view of things. However, God has an eagle eye view, and he sees the whole spectrum, and he knows exactly why certain things have to play out the way they have to play out, We're talking about 400 years, y'all. There's not a single individual in this church that is going to live to be 400 years old. That means you're talking about your generation, the next generation, the next generation, and several generations of your family awakening to bondage and slavery every single day all the while trying to hang on to this hope that God would send a deliverer to deliver Israel out of brutal, bewildering bondage. In Exodus 5-1, we encounter an 80-year-old Moses. An 80-year-old Moses and his brother Aaron, both with much youth and vitality, standing before Pharaoh, ready to bring deliverance to God's people. Pharaoh, on the other hand, was ready to deny any request that they had. I will not let them go. You can imagine Moses, he's already stood on Mount Sinai. And as he stood on Mount Sinai, he was getting assurance from God that that what he was going to go do was in fact going to work. And so you can imagine Moses and Aaron diddy-bopping into Pharaoh's chambers, right into his hall, wherever he sat at, whatever he did. And they come strolling in with all power from God. And they came in thinking, Pharaoh's just going to let us go. You come in there with a, with a, with a great attitude. Imagine, imagine, I don't know if any of y'all ever, uh, ever stood before a judge before, right? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to tell me if you stood before a judge. But just imagine for a second you got some parking tickets or something, right? Any of y'all had parking tickets? You can raise your hand to that one. Any of y'all got have some parking tickets? All right, amen. Slow down. Park in the right space. Make sure you do the right thing. Got to give you that service announcement real quick, right? Let's say, for instance, we got to make this practical for you because none of us were alive in Pharaoh days. Let's say, for instance, you had some kind of assurance from God but you really didn't know when this assurance was going to come through. So you go diddy boffin in front of the judge, right? You go in there all cool, you suited up, you dressed up, and you just know you are about to go home today with no fee to pay and no fine, and everything is peachy king. That's what you think. Then let's say good old judge decides, hmm, you've got five unpaid tickets. Now what we're going to do is we're going to put you in jail for one year. All of your smile has now faded into oblivion. You are now disappointed, discouraged, and dismayed because what you thought was going to be was not going to be. But let me take it a little further for you. You've now accepted the fact you're in jail for one year. You've been there 364 days, and deliverance is coming tomorrow. Then you realize on the 365th day, in that morning, they tell you, you've got to serve another two years. <laughs> yeah, you see, Elder Debbie, she said, oh, no. That's not good news. But imagine Israel They've heard time and time again that a deliverer is going to come. We're going to get out of Egyptian bondage. And here comes Moses and Aaron. They have assurance from God, but they just don't know when. And they stand before Pharaoh at 80 years old, and they just think everything is going to just go like that. But then Pharaoh, Pharaoh, he stands ready to deny them at every single corner I will not let them go time and time again I will not let you go you are going to be holding to slavery forever while the children of Israel would have liked to leave Egypt that very day that would have been good there was a cost what did I say there was a cost in the price of freedom that the Egyptians and Israelites would have to pay in their own rights. Let me say that again. While the children of Israel, they would have loved to just walk out of bondage that day. It would have done them great pleasure to the heart and to the mind to to literally be able to gather their camels, their donkeys, their oxen, their whatever in the world they had, and take it and march right out of Egypt that very day. It would have been. But there was a cost and the price of freedom that the Egyptians, as well as the Israelites, would have to pay in their very own rights. So what do I mean by that? No worry, I'll tell you. They would see the plague of the Nile being turned to blood, which directly attacked the god Osiris, who was the god of fertility, vegetation, and agriculture. That's number one. Now, let me stop right there for a second. How many of y'all drink water? Oh, well, I'm gonna I'm whip everybody back around to you. Let me just turn the car around, and we're gonna come right back over to you, right? We're gonna whip that joint, right? How many of y'all don't like water? Raise your hand. Some of y'all don't like water, what you don't like? You don't like the taste of it or what? You don't like the taste? It don't taste like nothing. <laughs> I guess that's the problem. It don't taste like nothing, right? All right. So, 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 sister principal, you said that at the, at the school, there is a water fountain where they can put their water bottles under and get water, right? Now, imagine, No matter where you go in Washtenaw County, Wayne County, Jackson County, or whatever other surrounding county there is around here. I've only been in them three so far. And no matter where you go to get water, all of it is blood. All of it is blood. Every water bottle you go to purchase in the gas station is blood red every water fountain button you push yeah just like that to get water out so you can put your mouth over all you see shooting out of there is blood y'all remember back in the day Y'all, y'all remember back in the day when you used to play basketball outside? Any of y'all used to play basketball outside all day long? You used to play in the hot sun and and, 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 and and in the country? All y'all was in the cities your whole life? Or y'all stayed in the country a little bit on the dirt road? Any of y'all ever stayed on the dirt road or anything like that? No? All right. Y'all remember in the streets when you used to play and you had the little makeshift basketball go and you had it on the light pole? Do y'all remember that? Man, I don't know what y'all remember. Good grief. Y'all don't have bread your whole life. Y'all don't have money your whole life. All right. So look. Y'all remember when you was outside all day, and if you lived in a country especially, and, and, and you went to the little spigot thing outside, right, and you turned on the water to try to get some water out of the faucet, but it tastes like rust. Y'all remember that or y'all had good purified water your whole life? All right, it's okay to laugh and talk to me. It is A-okay. God will not strike you down if you laugh at anything I say, all right? Amen. So, 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 that water tasted rusty and it tasted like eggs. Now, imagine if that water came out blood red. What you that? Yeah, boiling. <laughs> I ain't boiling blood. But these individuals, they would have to see their beloved Nile turn completely to blood. Not only were the Egyptians experiencing this, Israel was seeing it as well. They're seeing all of the water turn to blood. And this was a direct attack on Osiris, who was the god of fertility, the god of vegetation, and the god of agriculture. There was a cost that was going to be paid in order to gain some freedom. But then there's the second plague. Before Israel's emancipation could be realized, they would see the plague of the frogs, which directly warred against the goddess Heket, which symbolized childbirth and midwifery. Any of y'all like frogs up in here, Ribbit? Anybody, y'all like frogs? Anybody else in here like frogs? Now, just imagine, because we gotta make this plain, y'all. See, 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 you're so used to just reading about the plagues, but you don't know how to really make it plain imagine we got, I don't know how many people we got in this church. I ain't good at math. So we got, we'll just say we got 75 people in this church right now, right? Let's say we got 75 people in this church right now. Let's say in this church right now, there was 1000 frogs that were just hopping around in here. That means they're going to be hopping on your head, Felicia. That means they're going to be hopping on your head, Brother Bill Becton. That means they're going to be hopping on your head, Mr. Adventist, with the Adventist symbol on your tie. They're going to be hopping on your head. They're going to be hopping on your bald head right there. They're going to be hopping on everybody as we sitting in here trying to enjoy the worship service. It would look like the frogs have overrun the church. Then not only that, you go outside and there's frogs everywhere. Everywhere you step, there's a frog. Ribbit. And we ain't talking, we ain't just going to talk about the little bitty old frogs. we going to talk about them big bloated, nasty looking ones. Them real big, squishy little frogs, right? And so, and so just imagine, imagine being asleep and all on your bed, there's frogs hopping on you all night long. Everywhere, you get no comfort, you get no rest. But God had to send this plague to directly attack this god, Haket, that the Egyptians worshipped, that symbolized childbirth and midwifery. There was a cost that was going to have to be paid to affect Israel's emancipation. But then we have the third, we have the third plague, and they, they would see the plague of lice. Ooh-wee. They would see the plague of lice, which would have warred against the god Geb, who was Egypt's chief earth god, right? I don't know if any of y'all have seen lice before. Have any of y'all experienced? Eh, I don't want to ask you if you've ever had lice. I don't want to do that to you. Right? But, but 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 lice is not a pretty thing. I remember the first time, this isn't lice, but this is maggots, but we'll compare the two a little bit. I remember the first time I saw maggots, right? I thought they were Rice Krispies. I, I, they, they were all on the ground on something dead. And I was like, why are the cereal moving? Because I thought it was Rice Krispies. It was my first time seeing it. I was like, why is the Rice Krispies moving? But it was maggots. But just imagine, because maybe some of us haven't seen, like, imagine maggots all on your body. Not while you're dead, but while you're alive. Imagine all of these types of things on you, but, 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 but see, God had to do some things in order to affect their freedom. It was going to come at a cost, and Israel was seeing all of this. But not only that, they would have to see swarms of flies which warred against Egypt's order of the fly that served as a symbol of relentless determination and bravery. Let me stop right there because I got to tell y'all something about some flies. Can I tell you about can I tell you about uh, 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 being in poverty for a second? Can I tell you about being in poverty and flies for a second? Can, can I tell y'all that real quick? See, we used to live, and Andrew's probably gonna laugh at this. Yeah, don't cover your face, Andrew. We used to live in a place that was overrun by flies. When I say overrun by flies, we, it, it was so bad, we would call it fly season in the house, right? That's what we called it, fly season. There were literally about, and I ain't talking about them little bitty flies, y'all. I'm talking about them big, humongous flies that looked like the size of raisins, y'all, that was flying all around. We had so many fly traps in the house, right? Because the flies were swarming everywhere, and the fly traps did nothing. The fly swatter did nothing. The fly spray did nothing. But if you think about all those flies and you think about the plagues of Egypt, oh, my word. We couldn't get no rest, y'all. Ask Andrew about it later. Man, we had so many, and we didn't even know how the flies was getting in the house. It's like they were being birthed, right, in the very concrete of the house, right? But there were so many flies. Now imagine this whole sanctuary being swarmed with flies and you're trying to enjoy the service. No way, no how. But see, God, God had to do something in order to affect their freedom that was going to come, right? And so now we come to the fifth plague. They would see the death of livestock, which warred against the cow goddess and all of the other cattle deities the Egyptian worship. So not only were the Egyptians being affected, but Israel was seeing this with their very eyes, that this was a God that had power to do certain things. They would see boils, which warred against the goddess Kemet, who was the goddess of epidemics and healing. They would see the plague of hail and fire, which warred against the god Nut, who was supposed to protect the land from heavenly destruction. They would see the plague of locusts, nasty locusts, jumping around every place, which warred against the many grain gods that the Egyptians worship. They would encounter utter darkness as the ninth plague, which was a direct attack towards Pharaoh because he was known as the son, S-O-N, of the S-U-N, Ra himself. I don't know if y'all ever been in darkness. Maybe you have when you forgot to pay or didn't have the money to pay your electric bill. Man, all y'all had y'all's electric bill paid the whole life. All right, I should have been living in Ipsy my whole life then. <laughs> Praise the Lord. They would go through utter darkness, the type of darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your face. Every step you take, you don't know if you're going to walk off an edge. You don't know where you're going to walk. It will be so dark. That dark will be a thickness where you could literally see nothing. They were going to have to go through this in order to gain freedom. Yes. And finally, They would see the plague that would strike down all of the firstborn cattle and humans in a time when the firstborn was especially revered by the Egyptians. Can you imagine the wailing and the crying and the death? As these Egyptians lost their firstborn of everything. Right. I know we I know we I know we look at the Egyptians as evil, but at the end of the day, they're still human beings, too, and they were losing sons. They were losing loved ones. They were losing their firstborns. Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he refused to let them go. Yes, while the children of Israel would have liked to leave that very day, as Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh and said, Let my people go. The Egyptians and Israelites would have to encounter in their own rights numerous trials, And paying the cost before Israel's freedom would be realized. I need you to get this specific point, right? Sometimes we look at this story and we divorce it from our own lives. We look at it and you notice how God is attacking with every plague one of the gods that they worship, right? In order for Israel to gain freedom, God has to attack not only Egypt, but every God that they held close to them and revered and worshipped. Right. The things, my friends, that we make God in our lives, the God of heaven and earth has to directly deal with in order to free you. Let me say that again. The things we make God in our lives, the God of heaven and earth has to directly deal with in order to free every last one of us. Maybe it's your ego. God has to deal with it. Some of us got that male strong ego where nobody can tell us not nothing. Right. But God has to deal with that if that's become God in your life. He's got to deal with it in order to free you. How about how about your money? See, most of y'all sound like y'all ain't used to having your electric bill cut off. Y'all used to having a little bread in the pocket. Y'all used to having some money in the bank account. I know what it feel like to have that bank account say zero, zero, zero. Matter of fact, negative, a whole bunch of other numbers behind it because I've overdrafted because I got to figure out how to feed all these children. Yeah. If your money is your God, God is going to have to deal with that thing that's within you. Maybe it's not your money. Maybe it's your house. You've worked so long and so hard for that fancy little house that you have. And that house has become your God. If that house has become your God, then God has to deal with that house in order to free you. See, what you need to understand is God is more interested in your salvation, not your house. God is more interested in your salvation, not your ego. God is more interested in your salvation, not your money. God is more interested in your salvation than anything. And if that means he's got to break you to do it, then that's what he's got to do. But maybe it's your job. Maybe your job has become your God. Maybe your job has become your God. And if your job has become your God, that means that God has to deal with that because it's become God in your life. So that means he's got to deal with all of those things, just like he dealt with the plagues in Egypt and the gods of those specific things and disintegrate them. He's got to take some things away. There's a cost, my friends. There's a cost to freedom. While Israel wanted freedom from bondage in Egypt, God needed to get Egypt out of the people. Let me say that again. There's a cost to freedom, folks. And while they wanted freedom, they wanted it that very same day. God needed to get Egypt out. Of the people. You see, some of us in our Christian experience, we still got Egypt within us. We've been in this Christian experience for however many years, but Egypt is still in us. We're still lying. Egypt is still in us. We're still stealing from individuals or robbing God of the time and the talents. Egypt is still within you. We're still fornicating when we have no business fornicating. Egypt is still within us. If you want to be free, there's a cost. You got to pay. See, most of us want, you, you, you know that saying, um, uh, our cake and we want to eat it too? See, some of us, we want to hold on to that sin and be saved. But see, what God is trying to do is free you from that sin because sin leads to death. However, the opposite of that is eternal life in Jesus Christ when when you allow him to take away that mess in your life. But that's up to you. Again, it's easy to come and read these stories time and time again, but God's got to get Egypt out of you and out of me. Finally, the day had come when Israel was to be released from their bitter bondage. In Exodus 14, we now encounter where the children of Israel are trapped between a rock and a hard place. They have now been delivered, but now they find themselves at the edge of the Red Sea. Now, I'm going to ask all these nice, lovely people in here. I'm going to ask you all to raise your hands to this question. How many of y'all can swim? You know, they say black people, we can't swim. How many of y'all can swim? It's a few of us. All right, so the rest of y'all, if God would have not parted that Red Sea, y'all would have just sunk to the bottom, right? So you got that right. So the children of Israel, mind you, they're now free from Egyptian bondage. They've seen all of these things, right? Egypt is still slightly within them, and you see it all throughout the Old Testament when they're or their wilderness wandering while they're complaining. But they've now arrived at the Red Sea. And the way they arrived at the Red Sea, God led them into a position of a rock and a very hard place. You see, a lot of times we find ourselves in certain positions and we curse God, right? Because we, we, we don't understand how God actually works, right? We think that when God leads us, it's always supposed to be on a straight and narrow path. We always think that everything is going to be peachy king. However, he led them into a position where the Red Sea was in front of them, the Egyptian army was behind them, and there were mountain ranges onto each side of them. Where were they going to go? All they had was forward. Because the reality is, if they go backwards, they about to get killed. Let me tell you something. Don't go backwards, folks. Don't go backwards. You come out of Egypt, don't go back to Egypt. You came out of Egypt, don't go back to Egypt. Satan is always going to try to take you back to Egypt, but don't you go back to Egypt. so the children of Israel, they got the army behind them. If they go there, they're going to die. If they go over the mountains, they can't escape to the mountains fast enough. The Egyptian army is going to get them. They're going to die. They have one option and one option only, and that is to go forward. But forward is into the ocean. And most of y'all can't swim. Poor, poor, poor black folks. Most of us can't swim. You said floating. most of us can't swim so imagine you've got two three four million individuals that have just come out of slavery they've probably never swam in their entire life they've probably never been in that much water before the only water they probably saw was a little bit of drinking water the nile but they had never been inside of any water like that you can imagine the waves coming by and you can imagine all of that seeing, and, and maybe they could see across, maybe they couldn't see across, but all they know is the Egyptian army is behind them, and they can't go to the left or to the right. And so you notice in there, and you can go back and read all this stuff yourself. I'm all way between Exodus chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 14. You notice in there where they get to crying to Moses. They get to complaining to Moses. They get to crying to God and all these things. And what is one thing you remember they say? Let us go back to slavery. There's a cost you have to pay to being free. There is a cost. Right. See, we want freedom, but we don't want to go the lengths that God is taking us to achieve that freedom. So what you'd rather do is go back to your sin of fornicating. What you'd rather do is go back to your sin of profanity. What you'd rather do is go back to your sin of cussing because it's too hard to get the victory over the words that come out of my mouth. It's too hard for me to stop doing what I'm not supposed to do. So you say, God, just send me back on over to Egypt. I oh, see you tend to look at the children of Israel as a bunch of crazy individuals. But most of us are just like the children of Israel. We we want to go back to what we know. We want to go back. You, you you realize you realize when we go back to comfort that comfort isn't always comfortable. It's just what you know. They didn't like slavery. There was nothing within the, their, their body, within the human mainframe that says, as a human being, I want to be enslaved. However, they felt it was more comfortable to go back to what they know than to go forward by faith, trusting in God. Because what they were going to have to do is pay a cost to get to freedom. God does his miraculous and amazing work. And he tells Moses, he says, why are you standing there crying unto me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. And You can probably imagine Moses. Uh. <laughs> See, I know a lot of times we, we just read the text and we just read it like that. And we just we just tend to think that the Bible authors, they didn't scratch their head or nothing. And just, let's 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 think humanly for a second. I tell you. Go stand out there in the middle of the highway because God told me to tell you, go stand out there in the middle of I-94 headed towards the Detroit at the highest time of traffic. Are you going to do it or are you going to think I'm crazy? You're going to think I'm crazy. So now imagine Moses telling the children of Israel, we're going to go forward into the sea. First of all, he's got to hear it. Okay, God. And now you want me to pass this information along to you you hear them complaining, people? But 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 here's the thing, and you see this in Testimonies Volume 4, Volume 4, right? As they started to go forward, when they started to put one foot in the water, God parched that joint. God parts it. They were going to have to experience something they've never experienced before. There was a cost that they had to pay in order to gain their freedom. The Bible says the Egyptians that you see now, you will see these Egyptians no more. For all that the children of Israel saw and went through, there were at least a few things, my friends, that freedom would cost them. I'm going to give you these three things and we're going to wrap this up and you can go drink your water, eat your food and do whatever else you do on this fine Sabbath day. Is that all right? Oh, that was three eight minutes. We can stay here longer. <laughs> I got stories for days. Trust me on that one. Three points real quick. Number one, number one, the want for freedom would cause them to relinquish. I'm sorry. The want for freedom would cost them to relinquish their weak faith for a strong faith in God's word. They had to relinquish. It was going to cost them. I got to put this down and I've got to pick this up, right? Exodus five twenty-two to 23, it says this. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, say, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is, why is it you sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, not my name, in your name, he has done evil to these people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Listen, you ain't had no experience with God until you've experienced questions like that. <sighs> Let me stick a pen right there real quick. Most of us as pastors, right, most of us feel called by God. We feel called by God to do things, and and sometimes we don't know why we're specifically called, because there's a lot of us that run from this thing for a long time, but for some reason, God sees you need to be a pastor. Don't know why. But sometimes in our leading, we're asking these questions of God. God, why me? I did what you said to do, but nothing is working. What are you doing, God? And we sit and we lay with our faces down, crying and tears, pulling out hair or whatever you want to pull out or whatever. You pull it all out and you're crying out to God. God, I don't understand. You said to do this and this would happen. And so Moses is on his face. Why have you sent me? You you told me up there in Mount Sinai, see y'all got to have fun with the Bible text, right? You 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 don't just read it and then just move on to the. Just sit there and grapple with it as a human being. You're 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 dismayed, you're destroyed, you're distraught right now, and and you're asking God, why did you give me this child just to take this child away from me? Birth is a miracle. When you understand that whole process of it, birth is a miracle. I've prayed for years and years for a child, but 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 you gave me a child, but then the child you took away at one years old. I remember I used to I used to do chaplaincy work downtown uh, downtown Dallas at Children's Hospital, Dallas, Texas. Children's Heart Hospital was the hardest place to ever work in. Hardest. The natural order of things is we're born. We grow up, we get old, we pass away. Children's Hospital was a hospital where the majority of the kids were never going to leave that hospital. I would see children with their hearts born outside of their chest, children where nothing was actually firing and working in the brain, and they were hooked up to all these machines. But I remember this one young girl named Mary. I never forgot her name. She was 13 years old. She had just died. And I went down into the morgue to see her. I went down into the morgue and there was no other body down there. There was no other. She was the only one. Now, granted, she didn't know because she was dead. But it, man, it pained me badly. She died alone. Not only did she die alone, she's in this freezer all alone. And you come to those questions with God. God, why would you give me to take away? God, why would you lead me only for everything to fall apart? God, you told me to do this, and I did this to the T, but none of it worked the way that I expected it to work. You ever been in those situations? That's where Moses is right now. Moses is saying, Lord, why have you troubled these people? This is the God of mercy, the God of love, the God of saving. But, but, but Moses is like, why have you troubled these human beings? Why did you send me? Why did you send me to speak to Pharaoh? I told you I can't talk, right? He has done evil to these people and he ain't delivered them. He's distraught. Moses, this mighty leader that we all revere and love, he's distraught. But you got to understand freedom would cause them, Moses also, freedom would cost them to relinquish their weak faith for their strong faith in God's word. Remember Genesis 15:34 said, "Then he said to Abram, 'No certainly, not by a guess, but know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and he will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years and also that nation whom they serve I will judge afterwards. They shall come out" with great possessions 400 years of having to hang on to that text 400 years of having to hang on to that text imagine having a promise for God from God God you said you was going to give me a you said you was going to give me a spouse I'm nine, I'm 90 years old now what am I do with a spouse I've been waiting 90 years for a spouse but God you said you was going to 400 years of waiting for this promise to come through. Do you feel that thought? I'm going to have to go through all types of slavery, all types of being maimed, seeing so many people die. The blood drops, the, the, the tear drops, all of it. I'm going to have to go through it. But God gave a promise. While they wanted freedom, they would have to go through much trial and tribulation that would stretch their faith in order to be free it wasn't going to come that easy God said that he would free them they just needed to trust God's word see what you may want freedom but freedom is going to come at a cost are you willing to pay it are you willing to pay that cost which brings me to my, to my next point. The want for freedom would cause, cause them to relinquish their faith in what they knew in Egypt for what they did not know in Moses. They knew Egypt. They knew Egypt very well. Exodus 14 verses 10 10 through 12. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness?" Why is Moses getting the blame? They knew Egypt. They didn't know Moses like this. Why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than it would be for us to die in the wilderness. Freedom was going to come at a cost. But they needed to relinquish their faith in what they knew in Egypt, right? For what they did not know in Moses. Oh, you got to put your faith in a person. Let's stop right there for a second. Stop the car. Any of y'all ever put your faith in a person just to have your heart broke? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, I love you, baby. I love you, too. I ain't never going to leave you. I'm with you. And the next thing you know, they're out there with somebody else. And your heart is distraught. Heartbroken. There, There are all types of messed up now but see but see they've got to now put their trust their faith in a person and this person could very well steer them wrong or the problem was with them see while Israel wanted freedom they would need to understand that Moses was only following directives from God therefore they had to trust Moses as he led the people See, you may want freedom But freedom, Ipsy, is going to come at a cost. It's going to come at a cost. Are you willing to pay that cost? Also, the want for freedom, my final point, the want for freedom would cost them to relinquish their understanding of the powers of Egypt for a better understanding in the powers of God. They were used to the powers of Egypt. But they were not used to the powers of God. Mind you, they spent 400 years, 400 years in Egyptian bondage. They spent 400 years trying to hang on to a promise. They spent 400 years of crying, of dying, of disease, of death. They spent 400 years in all of this stuff. And they, they understood the power of Pharaoh in them, but they did not quite fully understand the power of God. You see, their masters, the Egyptians, held all the power. And up to that point of the plagues and the Red Sea crossing, they had never seen God exercise his power in this manner. You and I ain't even seen a Red Sea cross yet. And I'm talking about a literal. You walk over there to lake, whatever that lake is over there. What is that, Lake Erie? Is that Lake Erie over there in Detroit? Y'all don't even know the lake y'all got over there. What lake is over there in Detroit, folks? Lake Erie. Y'all walk over there to Lake Erie and tell Lake Erie, part in the name of Jesus and watch it don't part. It ain't going to do nothing. These individuals had never witnessed God's power in that manner, but they saw the power of the Egyptians because they were their taskmasters and they told them what to do. And if they didn't do it, they would get the lash to their back or they would die or something would happen. But the Egyptians held all the power. All they had from God was a 400-year-old promise. This means they had to trust god's word to deliver they had to trust his servant moses to lead and they had to trust in god's power that they had never witnessed to this magnitude before how you want me to trust in something i ain't even seen before see you may want freedom my friends but freedom is going to come at a cost exodus fourteen thirty one then says thus israel saw the great work which the lord had done in egypt They saw the plagues, they saw the deliverance. So the people feared or worshiped the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. You see, God had to take them on a journey. He wasn't just trying to destroy the Egyptians. He was trying to take, the, to, to take Israel on a journey as well. They had to have a deeper understanding of who the God of heaven and earth was. And they needed to understand that freedom is going to come at a cost. But I promise you, the reward will be greater than what you pay. Few names of individuals who paid a high price high, high price, so that we could sit here even today. Medgar Evers, who directed NAACP operations in Mississippi, was leading a campaign for integration in Jackson when he was shot and killed by a sniper at his home. Freedom comes at a cost. Addie Mae Collins, Denise McNair, Carol Robertson, and Cynthia Wesley were getting ready for church services when a bomb exploded at the 16th Street Baptist Church. Freedom comes at a cost. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a Baptist minister, was a major architect of the civil rights movement. He led and inspired major nonviolent desegregation campaigns, including those in Montgomery and Birmingham. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. He was assassinated as he prepared to lead a demonstration in Memphis. Freedom comes at a cost. In closing, my friends, I want to read. I want to read this portion of speech to you. It's from Martin Luther King's, possibly his most famous speech, which was a speech that was roughly 17 minutes in 1863. As he stood in Washington, D.C., and most of us know the middle portion, which is around the 12th minute, where he begins to say, I have a dream. But 12 minutes before that, there was a speech also. And then three minutes before the speech ended, He said these words, if America is to be a great nation, then let freedom ring from the providence hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside. Let freedom ring. And when this happens and when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet and from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men and Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, we will be able to join hands and sing the words of the old Negro spiritual free at last, free at last. Thank God almighty. We are free at last. Ipsy, if we as a church are to be great for the Lord, it is time to let freedom ring in our lives, no matter the cost. See, God wants to use us. But some of us are still slaves to Egypt. Some of us are are still shackled in Egypt. Some of us still don't want to relinquish certain things so that we can truly be free and live out in our lives that freedom has truly rung. It's possible. But you have to be willing to let God take control. You got to let go. You got to let go. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we let freedom ring in our hearts. We know that freedom comes at a cost, we've seen it. Some have even experienced it firsthand. But Lord, as this freedom comes at a cost, let us analyze our own selves individually and see what that cost is and yield it up to you. Knowing that that cost is gonna be worth the reward. Help us, Heavenly Father, to trust you with everything. And I mean everything our relationships, our friendships, our finances, everything. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.